0: Hi, I'm Elise.
1: I'm Matt, and welcome to Pod Wraiths, the Star Trek Deep Space Nine podcast. If this is your first time joining us, we're two friends watching Star Trek Deep Space Nine and sharing both our deep and irreverent thoughts on our favorite Star Trek series.
0: This week, we're talking about Season 3, Episode 1, The Search, Part 1, teleplay by Ronald D. Moore and directed by Kim Friedman. This episode aired on September 26th,
1: 1994. This week on Deep Space Nine, Cisco takes an untested Starfleet warship into the Gamma Quadrant in an attempt to find the founders of the Dominion.
0: So, when I was watching this episode and it started and it played the, like, last time on Deep Space Nine, which was really, like, a recap of the finale that we just covered, I kind of laughed at myself because I was like, oh. Because I had just said, oh, it's not a continuation of the Season 2 finale and, like, I do think this is, like, part two of a three-part arc. But, yeah, this isn't the first time that I'm wrong, and it won't be the last, so.
1: (laughs) I mean, I don't think you're totally wrong. So I think, like, the thing we have to remember is that, like, there were months in between, and, and so, like, it was, like, kind of like a recap. And it does, like, I still think it matches with the spirit of what we were talking about last time, because this is, like, a th- like yes it's a continuation of the story but it's like two months later like right. there's been the time yeah. and, and obviously like that. And benjamin like, the recap... like
0: left and came back
1: yeah you know what i mean so it's like obviously like the story continues but like it is going to continue because now like ds9 more readily well we're not like super serialized yet like you know modern television or The Sopranos, or anything like that. Right. But it's kind of more what I would call, like, would have been contemporary to this time, um, like, The X-Files. Right. Right? Where you'd have your, like, Monsters of the Week episodes and then you'd have your, like, continuing story, like, lore episodes where... Right. um, ...Cigarette Smoking Man would appear and, like, all of that shit, right? So...
0: That's true. Um... But yeah, it's not like at the end of how at the end of this episode, it's like, okay, obviously it's a to be continued. Like it wasn't that like that or anything. Yeah. Um. So the, in this episode, we got the, defi- the USS Defiant. Um. I remember when I first watched this episode, you and some of our other Star Trek loving friends had asked me how I felt about the Defiant. And like, I must not have been paying that much attention to the episode because I was like, was I supposed to care about that? and like
1: like, yeah they got a ship for this episode yeah like how silly like that
0: would have been such a like waste of money (laughs) and like a set or whatever um but yeah like i didn't know that i was supposed to be excited about it and like that it was gonna be you know a permanent fixture and now i'm someone that has like cloaked defiant earrings so like it's a big deal
1: (laughs) Mm Mm-hmm.
0: The other last, like, initial thing I'll say is because this episode was a two-parter, we got to kind of sit with this what was happening a little bit slower. Um or, Sorry, we got to, like, sit with it a little bit longer, and it got to play out slower. And, like, I don't remember what happens in part two, but, like, I'm really excited to watch it. And I just feel like whatever it is that happens, like, would not have been able to be contained properly in just, like, a 45-minute
1: episode. Mhm. Did you want to get into the episode proper?
0: We on a mission. That's me quoting <laughs> Coolio in Fantastic Voyage. Um yes, let's do it. <laughs> so, the Gemhidar are like en route to deep space 9 and our friends are not prepared. But like this whole thing makes no sense to me a little bit because even before we get into, like, the actual, like, play by Not that we're gonna do a whole play-by-play, but, like, into what happened. Basically, like, the Jem'Hadar are, like, coming, and they leave to, like, go do their mission. And, like, who's watching the station, like, in their absence? Like, the whole thing Okay, makes... the
1: Jem'Hadar are not actually coming, though.
0: They... Didn't they say at one point that they, like, had two hours or something? I
1: feel like yeah, that was a drill. They're talking about <sighs> a drill. That was like a defense drill It's oh, like you know Jesus like as part Christ. of their like planning or whatever. They're like looking over like the drill results or things like that. Right? I missed that completely. Like in, yeah, like they're in preparation <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> for like you know based on what we oh know of God, the Gemhadar and like you know they'd overwhelm our defenses in X amount of time. Like they're they're planning. For, you know, inevitable okay. invasion And that's where, like, oh, shit, we're taking the fight to them. The Defiance here now. Like, yeah. that's what they were all, like, okay. gearing up the, the stakes for. <laughs> um.
0: Yeah, so that is the
1: thing that happened. Um. Yeah, I completely <laughs> missed <laughs> sorry,
0: that. Sorry, No, it's really funny. Like, Every,
1: all, all the senior officers are going to the Defiant, and they're leaving, like, that's what, Ensign it, Campbell <laughs> in charge of the station. It made no sense to me, and I was so coming.
0: confused. I was like... Who are they putting in charge? Like, Rom or something? Like, what is happening here? <laughs> anyway. Oh, my God. <laughs> I love when we, That's like... That's why we podcast. Yeah, I love, like, the real-time, like, Elise missed, uh, like, the beginning of the episode. <laughs> which which I watched twice. <laughs> Good job. Um, I really liked how they introduced... The Defiant, um, basically our friends are in the control room area. I don't remember what it's called. Operations. Ops. Ops. (laughs) We haven't done this podcast in so long that I, like, forgot all of Star Trek. Mm -hmm, Um, mm -hmm. and they're like, this cloaked ship is coming, like, out of nowhere. That's creepy. And then they're like, oh, wait, it's Cisco." (laughs) Um... I thought that was kind of cute, and they Cisco explains that the Defiant is this like war, prototype warship that was designed to take on the Borg, but that threat died down, aka it moved to a different show. Um, and the sh- but the ship's like not that great because it has too much gun power, and O'Brien seems really excited about that. Like he's like, oh. It needs to be fixed, <laughs> I'll do that. And I'm like, do it. <laughs> do it, Doug. That's from Mallrats. I'm very into the quotes today. I've
1: never seen Mallrats. Um,
0: I mean like I doubt it holds up, but it's a it's a Ben Affleck movie. <laughs> <laughs> um yeah. And Jason Lee. There's a yeah. And Shannon Doherty.
1: And Stan Lee, actually. Stanley who? Tucci?
0: No, Stan Lee.
1: Yeah, Stanley Tucci.
0: <laughs> it would be really funny if um, Stanley Tucci was in that movie. Oh, my boy, my boy. No, I know who Stan Lee is. I... Don't
1: send me hate mail.
0: Um, But my also my boy Michael Rooker is in that film as well. He's great. Um... So, I think the idea of having this warship was, like, a really big deal because previous to now, it was just like Melrose Place. It was just like, oh, we're going to hang out on the station. Um, and Rick Berman did not, was, like, kind of, stu- well, per Memory Alpha, Rick Berman was super against the cloaking aspect of the ship. He was like, our our friends wouldn't lurk around and be sneaky, which, I mean... You kind of have to – I think that's, like, a flawed thought because you do have to, like, go up against your enemies and, like, you know, not to be, like, pro-war or whatever because I'm not. But, like, you know, it'd be silly if you were just, like, not as
1: equipped as your enemies. For the most part. You heard it here first, folks. <laughs> if you can afford it. Opinion, the opinion of this podcast is Gene Roddenberry had some weird ideas that neutered drama. Yes. Because Rick is actually, like, you know, doing his, like, oh, yeah. this is what Gene yes. wanted, yeah. like,
0: thing, right? And, I, and the way that Ira Stephen Bear, and Robert Hewitt-Wolf got around that was they convinced Rick Berman, don't worry, we'll only cloak in the Gamma Quadrant. <laughs> we, won't, we won't do it anywhere else. Um... So, like, that is a really funny um, aspect for me, and I don't recall if that is, like, true and how um, the Defiant is used going forward, but that will be something funny to look at. Like, if we see a Defiant episode and we're like, wait, they're cloaking, are they in the Gamma Quadrant? Like, that's something I want to call out, because I want to see if Rick was paying attention.
1: Well, it's funny, because, like, that's the rule that they had that they created yeah and it's even like explicitly said in the like in the wardroom scene mm-hmm. where the defiance introduced which again we have a new set on deep space nine we have a conference room finally they they'll be violating space hipaa at least in a <laughs> meeting room not you know in the center of ops now <laughs> at, the, at that diagnostic table oh, um, but even though they explained that the big reveal of it on cloaking is in the Alpha Quadrant.
0: Yeah, uh, that's funny. Um, I did feel like the the beginning of this episode gave me um, like Mission Impossible vibes. Like, Cisco was like, "Your mission, if you choose to accept it, is to go convince the Founders that the Federation is not a threat." Like, and then it like decon, you, you know, it combusts. Um, I don't know why I said decombusts. That's not a thing. Um, but yeah, it like felt very... We on a mission. We got a couple new characters um, in this episode. Sub-Commander Turule from the Romulan Empire. Um, basically, the Romulans would only give the Federation this cloaking technology if one of their own was there to operate the device. And some of you may know this actor whose name I'm not remembering now, but she goes on to play Seska in Star Trek Voyager.
1: Melissa Hackett or Martha Hackett or something like that. I can't let you um, look it up. Martha Hackett. Martha, Martha Hector, Hackett, there we go. And yeah, Martha Hackett actually... Um, auditioned for the role of Dax fun fact
0: oh that is interesting yeah I kind of don't like Seska so I have like negative opinions but it's not because like of Martha or anything I just think Seska really annoying to me so it was nice to see the actor in a different role who was also kind of annoying but like it was a little more charming maybe to me
1: more on that later (laughs) Uh, we're also introduced into lieutenant commander michael editing of michael eddington not edding eddington of starfleet security i always want to call it like
0: edgington which is like not a thing but also makes me think of edging anyway continue
1: and basically according to ronald d moore who now has with TNG being over, had him and a couple of the other writers from Next Gen have jumped over to DS9. Eddington was added to the show and added another actor. So when Cole was off working on some of his film projects, they had, you know, they filled out the cast roster, basically. <laughs> so, you're, so this is.
0: They're <laughs> so saying that the two
1: white dudes are interchangeable. Uh, more or less, as long as they have gold uniforms, uh, engineering, security, whatever, same thing. <laughs> this like, functions really... I, folks might remember um, Lieutenant Premon, who was in two episodes of the first yes. season, including the very good and very underrated move along home. <laughs> yes. Um, and he was brought in for, for similar reasons. Now they've basically added someone to do that on a more regular basis. Yes,
0: because I remember um, we, we kind of like... When the I think it was one of Primen's episodes, we were like, More on that later. This is the later.
1: Yeah, yeah. And what's interesting too, so Subcommander to Rule is the first Romulan on DS nine. So it's our first appearance of the Romulans on Pod Race proper. And she was also originally conceived as being like a new cast member for the show, but uh doesn't doesn't stick beyond these these two partners i guess they they thought there wasn't enough um story there eventually to use which is probably why they then cast her as seska on voyager um what's interesting too is we're in this current run of episodes on deep space nine of it being the only star trek show that was airing at the time which only happens for the for a, a run of episodes um i don't remember how many of this over the start of the third season because it's Obviously TNG has ended, but it's before Voyager has started, right? So let me see when Voyager starts.
0: Okay, Voyager started January 1995. So this was like yeah, and this would have like yeah. f- five months before that, four or five months before that. Yeah.
1: Cool. How did you feel about Odo in this episode with Michael Eddington coming in? And we we've seen this for a while where like starfleet hasn't been super happy with odo and you know we it came up again in the the maquis two-parter not that long right. ago when when galdacott gets stolen um a kidnap I should say he's not property he can't be stolen <laughs> he's kidnapped by a um, my
0: bike was stolen um yeah i really felt that while he was rightfully confused about like the chain of command that he was kind of a whiny baby to me. Um, like let Cisco at least finish explaining it before you have a meltdown. I don't know. I just think he he Odo is very um sometimes he reminds me of Eeyore, um, from Winnie the Pooh, where he's like, just like automatically assumes the worst and is very like whoa is me and I this really called out to me I mean obviously I don't feel that way about I don't know that it's obvious never mind um I don't feel that way about his like performance the whole episode it's just in this scene he's very um I don't know feeling sorry for himself and jumping to conclusions and I really I really hate that and I did some introspection and I realized that's because that is a quality that I am very prone to and I hate it in myself so when I see someone on screen I'm like very irritated about it um but yeah I also have found this scene between I guess it was the scene after where it was just Benjamin and Odo alone I really was bothered by Odo's use of you were just following orders with ref- with regard to Ben bringing um, Eddington on and having them kind of work side by side. Because, I mean, I'm sure it does for many people. It brings up the Holocaust for me. And that is not what's happening here. Like, if you're gonna use that in regard to maybe Odo's position in the occupation, then sure, I'm a little okay with like, I'm okay with using that term in that sense, but that is literally not what is happening here. So, I, that phrase really kind of took me out of the episode.
1: Yeah, and it's it's also, like, not great, because, like, Otto's the, the crypto fashion. <laughs> like, in the episode, anyway. Like, you yes. know, so yeah like i like i get that like i think it's like supposed to do the whole like how much like cisco as like the boss or the manager like advocated with his direct supports like for his staff and like i'm supposed to like it's i understand that it's it's trying to do that sort of thing um but like it's yeah it's not the best way to word it because of its Cultural coding, you know, historical coding yeah. that way, right? So,
0: like, I felt like the they were trying. There was a couple things in this episode about, and I'll get into one later. Like, li- like actual lines in the episode where I like cringed. Um, and while I enjoy the overall story, it's just the like the dialogue in a couple places irked me. Um, which is probably not like something that I even normally. Um, comment on well when we're doing this podcast, but I don't know if I'm just paying it more attention to it this week. Who knows?
1: So there was a consider, there was a deliberate decision, and then con- God, I don't know how considerate that be over but then like an intentional effort over the course of of this season to make our characters on Deep Space Nine more of a family right mm-hmm. I, like i think they were the writers rooms wanted to i don't know if it was kind of soften their interactions that that's my words not not theirs but yeah just i think add a level of a family and kind of warmthness and like you know dial that up because they thought that that was missing from like the previous two seasons and like i think part of this episode that speaks to some of this work is with our our literal biological family unit and the scene that we have between Jake and Ben where they're they're back and they're unpacking and Ben has taken his ancient African art collection out of storage on Earth and they're talking. It's a really cute scene. I really like this scene um, about when Ben decided to like consider Deep Space Nine home and like been starting to be attached to this job, this role that two years ago he didn't even yeah, want. He was thinking of resigning, he was trying story, to quit right? it. Mm-hmm. So.
0: Yeah, it, it. I. I kind of also feel like it speaks to for me. It speaks to the even the writers or the showrunner and all that. Those people kind of figuring out where the show is going next. Like it. Like it feels like, okay, this is our home now. This is what we're doing. And that it kind of, we've lived in this world for, well, this station for two years as like the, even the, you know, the people making the show. And so I like that idea that it's like, okay, we're like, we've basically found our footing now because I feel like that is true of where we are in the show as well. I don't know if that would have been intentional or not, but it works for me.
1: Yeah, I like really liked the uh, Ben and Dax scene too. Like we've seen versions of this scene before, but like this one felt a little different I, to me. It was just like... like
0: Yeah, I agree. Sorry, No, I'm, I was just
1: going to agree with you. Like there was a different kind of like warmth there that I felt Instead of being told, was there or like what like you know like I don't know. It's hard to hard for me to say at this. I point, wonder. But
0: like I wonder if part of it is just like Terry becoming you know like getting more comfortable in this role with yeah, her, with her acting. That makes sense.
1: Yeah, because we've talked before how like her direction and like you know characterization was um,
0: wishy washy. <laughs> like, I guess. Yeah, <laughs> yeah,
1: yeah. Yeah, so I really, I really think blood. I don't know if how much we talked about it at the time, but like, I really do feel like blood oath was like this kind of turning point of like Deep Space Nine deciding to turn into like some of those kind of roguish characters. Like you know, yeah. Obviously, it's not like a fun episode because it's about you know, I know, but I love leaving that a job to go so commit much. murder, but like, yeah, it's so good.
0: I like I, I feel like also we've seen we've seen Benjamin for two seasons now, and how he is passionate about his job, and he is someone who we've seen that he's someone who likes to do the job rather than give the orders to do the job. So when Dak says that Curzon always felt that way about him, we we have our own proof that that is true so it's like maybe that also made it more meaningful because like we've seen it right i know we i joked earlier thinking that the gem hadar were coming to the station or not joked i like missed that that's not actually what was happening but i still think it's weird that all the top officers on DS9 are going on this mission together regardless of what the threat level was for what was coming to the station because what if something does happen to all of them? Like, like that doesn't make any yeah. sense to me. I mean, I l- enjoy, yeah. like, and my friend AJ said this too. Like, he's like, I enjoy seeing all of the characters together, but, like, also it doesn't make, like, logistical sense. And, of course, Quark had to be well, there too. It, <laughs>
1: well, and, like, what's interesting is, and it's something that, like, again, I don't really think about it often because, like, I don't because um, it doesn't make a lot of sense to me, and I just kind of hand-wave it away. But, like, okay, DS9 is a Bajoran station that is administered by the Federation at the request of the Bajoran government. Mm-hmm. So that's why the Im- staff are integrated, right? Mm-hmm. Like, you've between your Bajoran militia folks and your Starfleet folks. What I have never understood about the Defiant is again, I love Kira. She's one of my favorite Star Trek characters of all time. And like you and AJ, I do like seeing them all together. But she's wholly outside like the Starfleet command structure. So why is she on the Defiant?
0: Yeah. Yeah. It's it's very hand wavy just to have all of our group together, which is I something I just have to accept.
1: <laughs> yeah. I like and it's fine. But yeah. and, like I think later on this is kind of referenced a bit because there's a, a character that joins that like is a Starfleet officer who's the first officer of the Defiant. Whereas this season, it's kind of like Kira is just assumed to be the first officer of the Defiant as well as Deep Space Nine, which is like a little weird, right. but yeah,
0: yeah, because it doesn't. It's different in that it doesn't have like the chain of command is messy because there are two, essentially two governments involved. Yeah, exactly. Um, so yeah, so Qu- so Ben asks Quark to join because he knows that the Ferengi have um that tulip berry wine deal <laughs> with um the <laughs> Karama in the Dominion. So he's like, I want you to hook me up with your uh contact over there which I guess makes sense and it's better to do that in person than to be like Quark sent me, you know. Um, I did read, I don't know if you were reading this when you were doing your research, that Armin Shimmerman was very uncomfortable with the scene where um, he had to kiss the Nagus scepter because he felt like it was making fun of the Ferengi. And that is something that he feels very passionate about and has spoken about because he, not to put words in his mouth, but I believe he felt like the way that the Ferengi was were treated by the other characters was actually similar to how the Ferengi actors were treated um, on the production set and everything like that so like as like a joke um I didn't necessarily think that that scene was needed um I do think Quark wouldn't wouldn't he they would have had to come up with a different reason to get Quark there obviously but I don't think the fact that they had the scepter was a problem. I think it was more just the kissing part that was weird.
1: Well, and I and I think too. It's I think this was on the the I can't remember where the original quote or the the quote originated from. Excuse me, but on the one that's on Memory Alpha, it talks about how Armin felt it was very like unStarfleet and kind of like unprimed y to like do this type of interference, subservience, or like with their like you know government right. and to like go around. You know, he went around Cork, Cork to kind of like, like, yeah,
0: like... they could have like when the Nagus was when when Ben spoke with the Nagus, they could have like conference called Cork in and like, if you really want his help, have the Nagus tell him, <laughs> Um you know, anyway. I thought it was really fun to see the DS9 crew run a starship like seeing which part of the ship that they would be that Mm -hmm. they were each responsible for like O'Brien was doing tactical and communications Dax was doing navigation and operations which I don't know Mm -hmm. that I felt like that is the best use of her skills Um, Kira was doing weapons and then they had subcommander Tyrol doing like some warp stuff but and you're probably right they all like from our notes, Matt said it was obviously because of the the cloak technology as well. And then we have Bashir doing Bashir, Bashir things. Um, I mean, obviously, he's the, still the chief medical officer.
1: <laughs>
0: mm-hmm. <clears throat> so as, right before we enter the Gamma Quadrant, we realize um, Odo is in the airlock and has decided finally to join everybody. Um, he stopped being a little bit of a baby. And now he and his bucket... (laughs) Now he and his bucket are rooming with Quark. And Quark was so happy to see him. It was really cute. And then Odo was, like, super angry and was, like, very scary and yelly. Um, I kind of don't know why he kept his Odo shape for a full 16 hours without sleeping or whatever. But he did. So he was, like... Turn around. I'm about to become goo. Don't watch me. Mm-hmm. Before meeting the karama, I think is that how we pronounce it? I think that before
1: Or karma, Karama Karama. Whatever.
0: Before mean. meeting the Karama. It's fake and it's inspired. Yeah, before I know, right. Uh, potato potato as they as they say. Um but potatoes are real. And before, yeah, so before they meet with the Karama, there are some ships that are passing by. So they do, like, a little test. It was just their way to show us that the cloaking device works. Um, They were like, oh, it worked. Yay. Those ships didn't see us. Um, It was really funny that Quark... Did Quark call himself an emissary? Because the use of that word really made me laugh. Um... Because as we know, Benjamin is the emissary, and so Cork like it felt like Quark like making himself seem more important than he actually is.
1: <laughs> well, I mean, yeah. I mean, and I know I, emissary
0: has like a. It's not like, it's not like a narrow definition of that. There's no narrow definition of that word. Yeah. So it like fit. It was just, just made me laugh. So after threatening the. Karama to cancel the Tula Berry Wine um, contract, they finally say, okay, we send all of our communications to the Calanon system. Anytime Tula Berry Wine gets mentioned, I always laugh because I don't think I ever noticed that that was a thing the first time I watched this. I'm, like, a very... I have a goldfish brain, so, like, when I watch TV sometimes, it's fun because... I don't remember stuff from the first time. So it's not, I don't feel like I'm rewatching it until like the third time I watch something. So right. every now I'm noticing Tulaberry Wine a lot, a lot more. That and self stealing stem bolts. <laughs> yes, exactly. Um, so when they look at the map of the Kalanon system, Odo like basically has like, mm-hmm a mind trip, and is getting weird vibes from this place called the Amerian Nebula, which is within the Kalanon system, Um, and then, like, is weird for, like, the rest of the episode. (laughs) Um, Speaking of Odo, (laughs) after that scene, there's this weird conversation between Ben and Kira that I find really funny because Kira's very, like, can I speak freely, sir? And he's like, yeah, go ahead, whatever. And so she's like, how can Starfleet do this to the Odo? And so nonchalantly says, is it because he worked for the Cardassians? Like of all the people, for them to put that line in their mouth, like the fact that it was Kira is so bananas to me. I know we talk about this constantly. It's like our number one thing that we're always talking about. But like she says it like she's completely fine with it. i It makes no sense to me. She's always just trying to give Odo a pass. If this was anyone else, she'd be like, fuck Odo. And not in the good way. So, I just besides the fact that the show wants them to be friends and allies, I just never will understand this disconnect ever. Yep.
1: Yep. 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 Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, I guess then just to like catch up, they have this encounter with the gem gem hadar they're like oh yay we like they got we tricked them with their you know to rules like knowledge of the cloaking device and then spoiler alert looks like they weren't completely mm-hmm. tricked when um dax and o'brien get get caught in the relay station that the karma sent them to um we also get introduced to this idea and we don't we haven't met them yet but the Karma don't know if the Founders are even real. The Founders of the Dominion. They just know that the Jem'Hadar work for people called the Vorta. And, yeah, the ship gets attacked. Odo's obsessed with the Omari Nebula. And when the ship's attack, takes a shuttle pod to this rogue planet inside the Nebula. And there are other changelings there. Dun dun dun! And that is... That is essentially the episode in a nutshell. I don't think we missed anything. Um,
0: I will respectfully disagree. We basically, you glossed over um, Bashir getting really angry at Tarul, saying that Dax and O'Brien were expendable. And Bashir is saying, bitch, you do not speak about my two besties that way. And then you know, Cisco goes with to rule anyway and they leave them on that planet Um, Bashir was so loyal it just made me just warmed my heart so I had to mention that
1: Oh, of course thank you
0: (laughs) so over the course of watching this episode I was really excited to pull out my Star Trek Deep Space Nine illustrated handbook of Deep Space Nine and the USS Defiant because when I was watching I was like I, w- I actually said, like, out loud to myself after Odo was like, just give me a shuttle pod and let me go. I was like, how many shuttle pods can the USS Defiant hold? It's really hard for me to um, size up different ships, like, on the screen. I really need, like, a size chart. I am a size chart queen, I love them. Um, my favorite size chart ever is there's one that I found of all the different Godzilla's over the course of, like, since Godzilla started and, like, how big they've gotten over the years, like, compared to, like, buildings and people. It's wonderful. So, in my illustrated handbook, which is really, you can find it online if you're interested. It's an official Star Trek-licensed book. They had a whole section on the shuttle pod, and it basically says that... There are 4 shuttle pods on the USS Defiant that each could carry 6 people. So, I was like, if cuz my thought while watching the episode, I was like, if Cisco take uh oh, sorry, if Odo takes the shuttle like they don't have a shuttle to like do the rest of their shit, um but there would have been four other shuttles. And there's also some other auxiliary craft which has warp capable, which is warp capable and I don't know how to pronounce what that is called. The Chaffee?
1: I don't remember, but if you have that yeah so there's there's two different types of like there's a a different type of shuttle pod that like I like the design of it a bit better that like has warped cells that kind of look like the defiance, like those internalized right. ones that you don't see till later, yeah. um yeah. But, yeah, they're not shuttlecraft because they're supposed to be smaller because the Defiant, I think, is quite small compared to what we've seen. That's why there's, you know, no families and they're in bunk beds and it's like... No luxuries. It's a very Spartan by Starfleet standards. Right,
0: so there's basically one of this warp-capable ones and, like, four regular ones, I think, is kind of my impression. Um... But, yeah, on the on, in that book, if you're interested, it's on uh, pages 158 through 160. <clears throat> I just was really excited to pull my book out and to, like, look at details of The Defiant.
1: hmm
0: Oh, I guess I want to finish this by calling out the other really uncomfortable line, uh, dialogue line in this episode that really bothered me. Um... After Kira was like knocked on the head, she wakes up and she's in a shuttle pod with Odo, and she's like arguing with him about you know why she's there because in her mind they had to they were supposed to go to the bridge and help like rescue everyone during the Jem'Hadar attack. And he says to her, "You didn't object at the time," and he's and she says, "I was unconscious. Like I cannot let this go." This reading is so cringe, especially right now with the national conversation we're having on body autonomy, Um, though body autonomy is never far from my mind. I just Ronald D. Moore, ew, please do better. I know this was a long time ago. um, But yeah, that that line reading really did not sit well with me at all.
1: And I don't think it's supposed to like, I think because Odo's been like very un. Odo like and that's has been really true like,
0: but it's still like fucked up yeah yeah it just feels yeah. like it it's... crosses the line for me yeah no that's totally fair I was excited in the end to when we get to the Omerian Nebula and see a lot of Odo type goo in like a pool I was like I hope he finds what he's
1: looking for do you remember how you felt the first time you saw this episode and met the other shapeshifters on this planet that like Odo had ostensibly like found his people. Do you remember how you felt about that?
0: I don't remember, but I do remember that I was more interested in that than the fact that there was the defiant. And now I'm like 50, 50 on those two things. Yeah. yeah. Do you remember It's it for like interesting Cause
1: I know it was a while ago. I, I, I don't, it was a long time ago. I don't remember for myself, but like the only re- like the reason I asked because it was like interesting because Rene Auberginois didn't think this was a smart move, and like didn't ever want to meet or find Odo's people. And here we are, at the start of season three, and are are finding them. And it's just like that idea of Odo not knowing where he came from, and you know all of that was a big touchstone of his character. So it'll be interesting to see. How Odo's character changes and develops now going forward after, you know, finding his 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 people. Right?
0: Yeah. I also like rewatching forgot that it happened so early. Like I know it doesn't feel early. It's the beginning of season three, but like it feels like I wasn't prepared. Like I forgot that's what happened. And until he was like, Oh, the n oh, O'Murray and Nebula i'm drawn to that place i forgot like i at that point i remembered but like i had forgotten that that happened in this
1: episode yeah
0: i think we did it
1: yeah it'll be interesting to see what happens next week um in the meantime i'm thirsty you're thirsty we've been podcasting for over 45 minutes um Let's do our Altair Water Thirst Quencher. Who are you thirsting for this week, Elise?
0: So I was really excited that Dax got a new haircut, and I, or a hairstyle, rather. Um, she looks fierce, and I love her.
1: I also love Dax. Don't really love this this haircut, <laughs> but uh, That's they, all, fair. they all can't be winners for everyone, yeah. right? I
0: so. feel like I should elaborate that I... My feelings on her hair are mostly because I literally hated her hair for seasons one and two. Um, That like poofed ponytail just did not work for me. Um, So this was just, it felt, I don't know. (laughs) It just felt, I mean, it was definitely like poofier, but like, I just was excited for something new. Um, I also was really excited for two seconds until Odo started yelling at him that Odo had to be roomies with Quark. Um, that was really funny. Um, I would have enjoyed watching a scene of them where Odo was trying to fall asleep and Quark wouldn't stop talking to him. Like that is what I was missing. <laughs> and Odo was getting so annoyed that the really the only way to make Cork stopped talking was maybe to kiss him. I'm um, just saying I would have not been upset if that's where the episode I'm, went.
1: I'm sure that that exists in fiction <laughs> Probably
0: somewhere. does. On AO3. Um, what about you?
1: Uh, just a shout out to sub commander Terule. Um,
0: Would you say that yeah, she no. Taruls? I'm sorry. I could delete it. <laughs> Alright, Elise. This has been great. We'll
1: see you next week. No. That's... <laughs> I couldn't help myself. I don't know if I've seen enough of her to know <laughs> that she, fair. to rules. Just, but, I had to uh, say the
0: corny joke. I'm sorry.
1: Yeah, no, fair enough. I just, <laughs> I, I did like the juxtaposition. Where she's like, I know who you are. I don't need to make friends. And then leaves. And then Eddington's like, well, I'm here to make friends. It's. Just I like, felt like he
0: was like, I'm here yeah. to make friends. Wink, wink. Kira, you're hot. Like, that's kind of what I thought was happening there, which I don't oh God, have. Maybe. Positive feelings about, but it felt like oh a it felt like he was trying to do like a Riker or something. I don't know fair
1: enough. <laughs> do you have a nominee for the most Star Trek thing about the episode? um
0: Nope, except for the fact that the most the least thing about the episode is that the first time I watched it, I missed a whole lot of it, and then the third time I just watched <laughs> it, I still miss a lot. I'm still will never stop uh, laughing about the fact that I missed that they were doing drills at the beginning of this episode. I would li- I, like, I-, I can't even fathom like what what I'm like gonna rewatch the beginning of this episode as soon as we're done with this because I'm like, what the hell was they doing?
1: What about you? Uh, yeah, I think my most Star Trek thing is that they like. You know, like, there's how we bought a zoo. We bought a starship. Yeah. Like, now there's... They've been on the station. They've just had the runabouts for two years. Like, oh, no, the Dominion's a big threat. We... Our runabout... They took down a galaxy-class ship in our season two finale. So our runabouts aren't going to cut, cut it. We need something else. And, like, I did, like we talked about it before, but, like, that scene where, like the Defiant is leaving to go on the trip and they're doing, like, kind of, like, the roll call around it and all the status checks. Like, Ronald D. Moore, like, does have some naval experience, if I remember correctly. Like, I don't know if it was, like, a junior officer program when he was in college or some shit like that. Um, So it was, like, even cornier
0: ROTC is what you're telling me?
1: Maybe. I'm gonna have to look it up. (laughs) I don't remember. He's like, some kind of, like, naval experience. And so, like, that's, like, probably one of his not super huge but like you see like the episodes that he write where there's any like chance to do kind of like more naval stuff like that like he's gonna choose to do it he'll he'll pull from that bag of tricks that right makes sense. So all right until next week elise where can folks find more of you on the internet yes
0: you can find me on twitter and letterbox at elise underscore tendi e-l-y-s-e underscore t e n d i n u and you
1: Yeah, you can find me on Twitter and Letterboxd as well at at Hugh. You can catch us together on Twitter and Instagram at PodRace. And you can also email us at PodRace at gmail.com.
0: Please rate and review us on the podcatching system of your choice. And again, thank you to DJ Empirical for our interstellar
1: theme song. And until next week, computer and program. Bye!